Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond Normal podcast, where we highlight minority business owners and founders, and we use this platform to shed light on their entrepreneur journey. Welcome to the Beyond Normal podcast. I'm excited to have Nathan Randall, uh, the owner and operator of the Top Coat uh, Nail Bar, Charlotte's premier uh, full service nail bar. Thanks for joining, Nate. Appreciate it, Kenny. Thanks for having me, man. So uh, we're going to hop right into things. I know Nate's got a lot to tell you guys today um, about the entrepreneur journey that he's on. Uh, so let's start out, Nate, by uh, telling us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so from Chicago. I've been here in Charlotte, North Carolina for about four years. <clears throat> Moved down here for work in the uh, financial services sector, corporate America. I moved here from New York, attended Southern Illinois University uh, for undergrad, University of North Carolina, Charlotte for my MBA. Just finished up a few months back. And, you know, we got Topco Nail Bar. I got a couple other entrepreneurial businesses that I've run, uh, some real estate dealings, not-for-profit and really just trying to uh to build on the streams of income man appreciate that background and so you know you, you touched on a lot of things there just in terms of you you know you, you're moving around you're getting different experiences really across the nation here but now you know you're transitioning some of that corporate experience into these different business endeavors um you, you mentioned the different things that you're doing why is a nail salon the next opportunity for you yeah, so uh, I mentioned I do real estate, and, and all of the real estate that I do is in Chicago, where I'm from. Being here in Charlotte, trying to figure out how can I get into the market uh, from a business standpoint, figure out where did I feel like my niche would be. And anytime I'm going into business opportunities from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I kind of focus around two things. Uh, one is an area where my culture is a participant of whatever that business is or the product or service of that. Uh, business produces. And then two, from an ownership side, you don't see uh, a high level of participation from my culture. Um, so when you think about real estate, every uh, place that I have apartment buildings throughout Chicago, the communities are you know pretty much close to almost all African American. From an ownership standpoint, it's almost the exact opposite. So right, meets those two criteria. When you think about the nail salon, and just the beauty industry, the, the nail industry in general, huge participation from a culture standpoint, from black people, from African-Americans, from diverse individuals, but from an ownership standpoint, majority of the nail salons in America are Asian owned. So again, you know, kind of fits those two criteria. If it fits that and profitable, uh, then, you know, it's something I'll consider and figure out if, it, if it's a, a right move for the portfolio. Yeah, I, I love how you you mentioned uh, kind of somewhat, you know, making sure that it checks the box from a cultural standpoint and making sure that it fits within our culture in addition to that profitability that's, that I know you're always going to look into. You know, moving a, a step back, right, because you it sounds like you have kind of that uh, what I would call kind of that entrepreneur kind of DNA, right, embedded in you. So what is the the reason for you to have – you know, that embedded in, you know, the way that you think right now? As far as checking those two boxes from a cultural standpoint? I would say even taking it back 
a little bit more, you know, why is it important for you right now to be a business owner, to have these different endeavors going on? Got it. Got it. Yeah. So I think a lot of times people hear the statement that the average millionaire has seven streams of income. I think the next thing that people hear when it comes to millionaires is 90% of millionaires become millionaires through real estate. I think the part that people don't really, or in my mind is like left out after those two statements or after the first statement that um, the average or millionaire has seven streams of income is that I think these, these millionaires, they kind of diversify their portfolio, but they're really hoping for one thing to click. Usually you don't see an entrepreneur and like all seven of their income streams is just booming. It's more so than finding their way. And over time, one of those streams of income, one of those businesses is the one, right? And, and the formula just works perfectly where it's the, the sole or largest, uh, you know, contributor from a portfolio standpoint. And so really that's what I'm doing. Do the nail salon. I've got really big plans for the nail salon. I'm, you know, thinking about franchising and having those conversations, that could be the one that, you know, takes me over the top. The real estate portfolio has done really well, continued to, to grow that portfolio over the past five years. That could be the, the one that pops, you know, corporate America doing really well work-wise, you know, and I see growth from, from that standpoint. So really I'm picking up these opportunities, you know, finding ways to continue to grow and reinvent myself, but understanding and trusting in the, in the sense that, over time, one of these was probably going to be the one that, you know, becomes my bread and butter, if you will. Like the balance approach there. And so, you know, moving to the next question, you know, what's something as you, you started these businesses, just these different avenues that you're, you're uh, pursuing, like what's something that you wish you would have maybe learned at the beginning that you may have had to go through and take your lumps um, through the process? How about COVID-19? <laughs> right? Like, if somebody could have told me this was coming, I never would have bought the nail salon. Uh, just, just from a business standpoint, right? Um, and I mean, literally, you know, we opened the nail salon in December. COVID shut us down in March. So, you know, we had two or plus months or so of really getting off the ground just to be shut down for a few months and then try to navigate those waters. So I think that's been a big piece because uh, prior to COVID, I mean, business was really booming. Um, we had a really good, you know, social engagement. The community was showing a lot of support. We made the news like seven times in the past seven months. I think the momentum was there. So I think that's one thing. I think the other piece too is this is the first time working for the nail salon, first time working with, or I guess being a manager or owner over a business where you have responsibility for independent contributors. Right. And so everything that comes along with that from promoting a, a team aspect, a cultural aspect, I think is some of the biggest challenges thus far, especially since, you know, you're trying to build that culture, but I'm not there every day. I'd say those probably are the two biggest things. I like how you threw the, in there the um, kind of like you said, you know, being responsible for the individual contributors, like they're going off of your lead. Right. You may have to wear different hats. Sometimes you got to be the good guy, the bad guy, but ultimately it falls on you. So appreciate that perspective. Uh, you dipped into it a little bit in terms of the COVID-19 impact. So I want to, you know, focus more on, you know, how do you stay engaged with um, your customer base during these difficult times? 
Yeah, really, you're just you're, you're trying to attend to their needs, right? Um, we do a really good job of letting them know how sanitized and you know our safety procedures for cleaning the shop. You know, we're doing sanitation and cleaning procedures after every uh, customer leaves the shop. When they when they come in, we're having to wash their hands. So I think overall, creating a, a sense of cleanliness and safety within the shop is huge. I think the other piece too is just trying to engage people to support small business, support black business and, and really play a part, you know? It's, it's difficult, I think, industry-wide. I think just countrywide in general, just jobs are, you know, few and far between and just the industry and the, the, the way the economy is moving. It doesn't look really promising as of right now. And so really trying to, to, to help customers help us to, to be able to ride the wave, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a really good um, question. I don't, I don't know if I, uh, if I really got the best answer for it. I think you definitely did because what you're doing right now is what a lot of businesses have to do. And you got to adjust so that your customers at least feel, I, I mean, right now with COVID-19, there's a comfort level. Somebody has to feel comfortable coming to your establishment. And the basic things like right now, when I walk into a place and I see hand sanitizer, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is the best place. Like, it doesn't matter where I'm at as long as the business that I choose to go to right now, they're, they're taking into account my health. Um, Cause you know, we all see from time to time, we see certain folks are wearing the mask and the, the folks, certain folks are not wearing the mask and where the folks are that aren't wearing the mask right now, honestly, for me and my family safety, I'm not trying to be there. Um, yeah. So I commend you on that. Um, you know, you know, COVID-19 is the what I would say the, the first that's kind of the first pandemic that's kind of plaguing us right now. The second pandemic that we're all feeling the, the effects of is really just the, the spotlight on the racial injustice going on right now. Um, at the beginning of the year, we had George Floyd. Uh, but more recently, you know, um, in this week here, we actually had the Jacob Blake situation. Uh, so I want to get your thoughts on that and how you feel like that's going to impact your business moving forward. Yeah, from a from a business standpoint, I think I'll, I'll probably answer that piece first is really just showing people opportunity and trying to, you know, I think we have to continue to push forward as a culture to hold ourselves in high regards, to get high paying jobs, to live in good neighborhoods, to drive influence, to change the narrative. People talk a lot about changing the narratives and those type of things. And I feel like it's like <clears throat> peaks and valleys. Something happens and we get really tied to the cause and tied to the situation from a vocal standpoint, but a lot of it has to be from an action place, right? And, and I think it's across the board. In every decision that I make as much as possible, I'm trying to be cognizant about pushing the culture forward, whether that's buying at Black-owned businesses, you know, supporting Black-owned businesses, promoting Black-owned businesses, um, because the more that I can do that, I think the better it puts my race which puts us in, like I say, better places of influence when it comes to politics and things like that. So as much as possible, I have to be a staple. Um, you know, I thought about, you know, George Floyd's situation or the recent situation that just happened over the weekend. And I think sometimes you think, okay, you know, because I'm not there, because I'm not out protesting, people can think that they're not so tied to the cause. If nothing else, the fact that I have a black owned business that I employ black individuals that's one less individual that could be in the streets at the wrong time and die at the hands of a police officer if nothing else that's me playing my part 
mm-hmm. right? Amongst the other things that, that I'm doing from uh, just community effort uh, and just being a resource for people, whether it's to talk to or to strategize or just to be a, a listening ear. So I think that piece, uh, and then circle back to me on the first part of the question. Uh, just in terms of, you know, how COVID, um, I, I think you kind of answered it though, in terms right. of the impact of the riots. I feel like you you definitely touched on it in terms of how it's gonna impact your business moving forward. Yeah. And then how you feel like it, you know, is impacting you right now. Yeah, I think from a, from an impact in me standpoint, it's more along the lines of when you really just kind of think through the overall process, I think is really jacked up. I think that we're too loose with guns. I think there's plenty of things between guns and handcuffs that fall in between that that can de-escalate a situation or can keep a police officer from feeling like their life is in danger, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think the threshold that a police officer needs to be able to say that their life is in danger and then take those type of actions is way too low. I think it's very low. Um, and then, you know, I think it happens frequently because people understand that the consequences really aren't there. You don't see police officers getting, you know, what I feel like is just due. And that's just me, you know, those impacts are major. Those are individuals who will never walk the face of earth again to that individual or that officer or community that does not know that individual. It means nothing to them because that's not a void that's put. Right, but you take those voids and combine them with the other voids that I feel like America has created to destruct uh, the African American race. You know, I think it's a it's an uphill battle. You know, you it's it's a daily struggle. It's a daily struggle. Those are my thoughts. Um, I think that's how it makes me more uh, scared for my life. Um, it makes me trust police officers less. And it's not a, a police officer thing in general, but how do you know if you got a good police officer on your hands or not? I think for what that situation was for a person walking away, not facing, and I don't know everything, you know, sometimes you make judgments too soon. I don't know everything surrounding. From what I've seen from the small clip, again, a taser, right? A, a pellet gun, something, right? But I just, I just think having a gun is just too much power. It's too much power and you can't, there's no control, all delete. There's no backspace. Once that happens, it happens. And so, and I think it happens too often. I appreciate the perspective. And um, I mean, the different kind of layers as you started to peel through it, you know, that just shows like there's no like set answer for it, right? We're all trying to figure that out um, and come to an agreement because like you said, there's each side has valid points. But at the same time, you know, you touched on the fact that, you know, if it makes you feel less safe, um, given the current environment. And so that's something ultimately that we got to kind of strive to minimize that because everybody should at least feel safe in their own environment. Um, you yeah, know, if it's I, uh, day to day. Yeah, I had to get my car registration redone or it's my first time renewing um, since having North Carolina tags. And so with COVID and everything's backed up. I did it online and it took a while to get to me. And so maybe for like the past 10 days or so, I've been driving my car with expired tags. And I think about it the whole time I'm driving, Mm -hmm. right? 
and it, you know, it shouldn't be that big a risk. Worst case scenario, I get pulled over. I can show proof that I paid for it. You know, worst case scenario, maybe I get a ticket. Maybe I don't because I can show proof that I already paid for it and COVID is happening. But those aren't even the thoughts of my mind. They said for that guy in Wisconsin that it was like a domestic uh, dispute. How do you go from domestic dispute to a gun drawn? So in my mind, it's like, how many different ways can a police officer win a case where he pulled over an African-American male for having tags that weren't current and that guy lost his life? You know, so it's, it's crazy for, for those type of things. This is another thing, and I, I don't mean to derail the conversation. These are just thoughts on my mind. Um, I just was having a conversation this week. A lot of people, and I, and I just thought it was normal, people around me, when we finish conversations or we're going somewhere or something like that, we always say, be safe. I don't think white people say that, right? Some things that are just conditioned, you say it off of just like a day-to-day is so conditioned that you don't even think about it. It's like, you know, what do you really mean to be safe? Why is that like out of all the things, it's not like a love you or um, have a good day or, you know, own the day, kick butt, anything like that. It's like, be safe. Mm-hmm. I think that alone is crazy. I know. I appreciate you opening up because it, it feels like, you know, these thoughts that are going through your head, that's driving a lot of the reason why you feel like, you know, you want to make sure you have different streams of income. Like you mentioned, you want to have these different businesses and put, you know, employ people, right? That's something that not everybody thinks about, but, you know, given the current situation, we got to make sure that we're protecting people, um, black and brown people that look like us. And I feel like you, you know, setting that tone by being a business owner, that's really what you're doing. Like, even as you're going through those thoughts, I can tell it translates to you caring so much about your businesses and making sure those, those are successful. Sure. Uh, so I appreciate that there. So um, the last question or one of the, the last questions I always ask everybody is, you know, like what's next for, you know, what's next for the nail bar? You know, what do you see in the future? Um, you know, once COVID obviously hopefully slows down um, in the near term, what, what, what does the future look like for the nail bar? Yeah. Can we play a game real quick? I don't even know if I should give you this for your podcast, man. I don't want everybody taking my stuff. Let's play a game real quick. I'm going to I'm gonna mention some things, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind, and then on the back end, I'll tell you plans for the future. All right? Okay. All right. Airlines. I don't want to use them right now. Okay. Uh, let's start over. Let's go this way. <laughs> I'm going to name, so you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Fast food. Uh, Chick-fil-A. Coffee. Uh, Starbucks. Hotels. Airbnb. Gyms. Uh, Pelotons. Car brand. Tesla. Nail salon. <laughs> right? There's no, there's nobody that holds market value. Yeah, right? I don't know. I don't know in terms of those brands. Right? Yeah, exactly. The, the closest thing I can take you to is like, uh, you know, maybe like uh, barbershop, right? And maybe you go like sports clips, super cuts, mm-hmm. uh, right? But from a nail salon standpoint, there's no one that has like a, sh- you know, just a stronghold in the market from a monopoly standpoint. There's, I ask plenty of people that question. No one gives me a set nail uh, salon unless it's the one that they go to. Mm-hmm. So answering your question, I think franchise is where it's at. One, there's not, you know, we just went through, there's, there's no like really name recognition in the, in the space. Yet you see nail bars everywhere. And once I opened the nail bar, I saw them even more. Like I didn't even realize like 
you can pretty much bank that every single shopping mall that you pass has got a nail salon, every single mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when you couple that with the fact that there's not really many Black-owned nail salons, to be able to franchise a Black-owned nail salon, I think, would be a wonderful situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pending COVID is over and those type of things. And so really, this is an opportunity to learn the business, learn the market, learn how to work through uh, just the business model, put together structure and procedures and processes in place. But I think maybe 30 days in, people were calling us trying to franchise another location. And I'm just like, we don't even know if this was going to be successful or not. You know what I mean? Like, I'm 30 days in. I haven't even done what, you know, dealt with all of the cyclicality, if that's the way you pronounce it, whatever, right? Uh, just the cyclical nature of the industry. I'm only 30 days in. People are saying, hey, you know, I got the funds. I think this is a good idea. Let's franchise. You know, I'm telling those people, give me some time. And this is pre-COVID. So we got to get through COVID, but I think that's the way, man. I think uh, franchising is, is the way to go. And I think we can grow the business. And I think Charlotte's a really good place to do that. Thanks for that. So, um, you know, I feel like we touched on a lot of great uh, topics today. I appreciate Nate uh, opening up um, about his journey and uh, Top Coat Nail Bar. So, Nate, I just want to pass it to you in closing. Um, any last comments? And in addition to that, could you just let everybody know how they can reach out and leverage Top Coat Nail Bar for all the nail services? Yep, Top Coat CLT Full Service Nail Bar. So if you're on Instagram or Facebook, it's Top Coat CLT. Um, and we do everything from acrylic to SNS, um, lashes, waxes, brows, you name it. Um, if you're hearing this podcast, when you're hearing this podcast, if you have not yet been to Top Coat, you better get there. If you get your nails done, if your lady gets her nails done, if your man gets his nails done, if they get their nails done and they're not going to a, and they're, and they're from the culture, if they're African-American, they don't go to a black owned shop In my mind, they're cheating on the culture. So if you're hearing this and you're not going to a black owned shop, it doesn't even have to be my shop. It just better be black owned. When I see people walk in the streets and I talk to people about where they get their nails done, if they don't tell me that they go to a black owned shop, I'm letting them know they're cheating on the culture. So if you're hearing this and you're not at top coat, you're not at, you're not supporting the culture. I don't want to hear those conversations. I want to see you in the street supporting Black-owned businesses, Black-owned schools, Black-owned bars, Black-owned restaurants, Black-owned nail salons, the whole nine, Black-owned banks, everything. Thanks for that, Nate. I appreciate the plug. Um, And, you know, just to piggyback on what Nate just said, uh, this month is actually uh, Black Business Month as well. So now is a good time uh, to go out if you have not. Um, it's kind of late in the month, but if you have not, you know, go out and make sure um, that you're supporting your local Black-owned businesses. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond Normal podcast. We can be streamed across all major streaming platforms in addition to YouTube. Come back again.